0: the frontline gaming network presents
1: art of war strategy and tactics discussions with the best players on the planet the frontline gaming network presenting art of war with nick nativati and
2: john damaris
1: Hello, and welcome to a special bonus episode of the Art of War podcast. I'm your host, John.
0: And I'm your host, Nick.
1: And today we have a very special guest all the way from Vanguard Tactics, Mr. Stephen Box. Go ahead and introduce yourself, sir. Well, guys, thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, so this Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're we're super excited to have you because we we have a very relevant topic that we felt like we wanted to join the discussion on. So you recently released a video... um, that was talking about cheating in Warhammer 40k, so that's going to be today's topic. Uh, Where can people find that video if they want to get kind of caught up?
2: Yeah, so I released that video on YouTube, um, and that's just on my YouTube channel, Vanguard Tactics, Um, and I think the title is called My Opponent and His Yellow Card.
1: Yeah, and that video has gotten like, I don't know, like 40,000 views or something crazy at this
2: point? It's Definitely going, viral
0: in the 40k world. Yeah, um, yeah,
2: ridiculous. I mean, I, I mean, I started my channel back in January, and I've never seen numbers like it. That's awesome. Yeah, I think what it what it really means is you've really hit a touch
1: point in the community, and it's an important topic to discuss. Um, yeah, yeah. So I kind of want to frame the discussion a little bit so that we we don't get into. <laughs> too dangerous territory, because this is a kind of a tricky thing to talk about, right? Because everybody is really sensitive about this subject. Um, but it's an important one with the growth of 40k and where we think it's going. We have to get out in front of this as a community and try to solve some of these problems before they become
2: an epidemic, I think. Yeah, and is I just to sort of give out my intent with the video first?
0: Yeah, yeah so what, why don't you just kind of summarize real quick what the video was about and what you were trying to accomplish with it, and we can take it from there
2: yeah so basically um to cut a long story short um I played at the LGT and I had a very particular difficult game and this is somebody in which I've actually had a very difficult game against before and I don't mean difficult in terms of skill level hard do you know what I mean it more in case of their conduct um, and it's the yeah. only time I've ever experienced anything like this in the hobby. You mean like um, difficult to get along with, right?
1: You're saying socially difficult, not a, not a, not mentally challenging or
2: tactically difficult. Right. So just, uh, you know. yeah, not even, not, not even like sort of socially difficult is in, um, because, you know, we meet people from all walks of life in this hobby, which is the most amazing thing about it, but it's more a case of you, I had to watch, absolutely everything this person was doing so every single range um, there was lots of things happening uh, from the game before which happened back in uh, December of last year I spoke about it very briefly Um, and obviously some of this finer detail sort of escaped me for now but basically there was things like I was pretty sure at the time that he was double firing um, units um, so repulses were firing twice or maybe that he was forgetting that they were, um, you know, had a minus one to hit because they were bracketed or that they would moved or something. And there was a lot of that. Uh, there was a there was a real time issue in the game as well. Um, that was that was the biggest component and also just not necessary. I think there was a point in which he wanted to use a stratagem and I said, look, that's been FAQed. It's two CPs now, not one. Um, and his sort of response was I don't have the FAQ so in my book it's this Um, and just basically somebody in which um, no matter what you say or do there's always a like an argument I I remember like a literally a 15 minute debate about you know when you um, consolidate towards the closest enemy unit I'd killed a, com- I killed a unit in combat and I basically, I was on a diagonal to a unit and I just moved directly forward, which then by algebra, not algebra, but whatever geometry. it's called, it's geometry <laughs> yeah. makes, although I'm ending like point of a millimeter closer, I'm still closer. Yeah. Do, you know what I mean? So it's just yeah. simple things like that, which, you know, in the game, when you play somebody like, yeah, yeah, man, that's cool. No worries. And you're like, oh, can I see that guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can see him. Carry on. But with this individual, no, you can't see him. Oh no, if you need if you you know, and it's just a constant battle. You just can't sit down and relax. Um, and it's the only other time I've kind of experienced this before, um, along with having many people over the sort of last year come and tell me about unfortunately their experience and being on the tournament scene and things. So when I obviously played this person um at round for whatever it was at the LGT, I had those exact same things, and I, I've always said that I would never play this person again, and I would just refuse. I'd just give him the win. I'm not really fussed about it, but I was asked not to do that. I was asked to basically play it. Um, the, the TO didn't. He said to me, "Look, I don't want to see like a you know a top player like you pull out for this. So I'm happy to give you a referee at your table for the entire ta- the entire time." basically what proceeded to happen there was a few rules disputes rightly or wrongly it doesn't really matter the context is irrelevant really in terms of the finer details of the rules but it was a case of this individual not only argued with me which is fine I don't mind if somebody argues me on a rule um, you know dispute but when they're arguing with a referee on my time and consistently arguing with a referee even after the referee has said look that's my final decision. Um, it's just a case of like, and then, you know, there was wound counters that were all of a sudden disappeared, or there was um, at a point in which he clocked out at turn four and then wanted some more of my time right. and wanting me to re-roll dice because he claimed he didn't see me roll them. But the ref had sort of said, look, you had so." there's loads of different things, but basically my whole point of this video was to stop this kind of, to stop conduct happening like this where you can just go to a tournament and if you're a decent player, you should be going like three and two, you know, if you're a pretty skilled player anyway. But if you're going up to an event getting a yellow card, there's nothing then stopping you going to the next event completely scot-free and doing the same thing again, pulling the same old tricks in um there's no communication between the TOs because of whether it's uh, you know, they're worried about uh, saying certain things or banning people and I think there's a real mentality because we are in a hobby to sort of say oh but they've paid to come you know they should be able to play but really there needs to be TOs in my opinion and this was whole, the whole point of the video was to say look we need to step up we need to stop this from happening like people should not be arguing with referees we need to empower referees decision rightly or wrongly We need to make sure that TOs um, or you know maybe frontline gaming or BCP whoever whoever the organisation is GW to say look if we're going to track points and we're going to track prizes we also need to track misconduct yellow cards so then maybe there's like a system and that was basically my video and I didn't name the person because I didn't want this to become a witch hunt I wanted this to be something that we could all relate to because I'm sure we've all experienced this guy Do, do you know what I mean and I put that in sort of uh, yeah, I mean, there's quotation marks.
1: There, there is even like a quote-unquote that guy, and that's that guy, and you hear about that guy all the time, mm-hmm. um, in the context of this. And the unfortunate thing is, um, those those people are a very small minority of the competitive player base. Yeah. But they su- they sully the reputation of competitive players and ruin competitive play for a lot of people who i think would actually enjoy it because they just have such an off-putting experience by really having to like they're coming to have fun and play a game and it's not a game because you know some people get so caught up in the ego stroking part of it that they can't help themselves but take every advantage they can get
2: um in warhammer is a game of give and take right it literally is it's a um you know you help out your opponent you say Anyway, I'm pretty cool and chilled out about it because I always think, you know, if you need to do that, then you're not the best general. If you need to try and gain your advantage, then why are you playing a game that's based around strategy and tactical play because you're not doing that? You're just bending the rules to try and gain an unfair advantage.
0: Yeah, it's one of the things I talk about all the time over in Knights Pro is like you want to win with integrity. I like I want to beat you because I outplayed you, I out tactical strategy Do you i want to beat you because i'm better than you i don't want to beat you because circumstances allowed me to manipulate the rules or cheat you or or even yep. just i don't even want to beat you because you rolled poorly i want to beat you because i beat you so all mm-hmm. this kind of just takes away from what i think the integrity of the game is all about
1: well and yeah. the integrity of the game is actually super important because at the end of the day we're playing a miniatures game that is an imprecise game if you really think about it, like we're moving with tape measures and you just think about parallax and perspective. um, Nobody is making perfect measurements all the time. As far as movement and everything else goes, there is a lot of give and take in a miniatures game where, um, you know, if you wanted to, you could call your opponent on and literally every move they made because it's, You know, it's, and that, so there has to be sort of a social contract in order to play this game competitively and still make it a reasonable endeavor, right? There's Um, got to be social contract to play this game casually. Like, yeah. Like, how do you,
0: if I'm mismoving and you're just calling me a cheater, this isn't a casual game anymore. This is just hostile at some point. Yeah. And like, I don't mean mismoving, like, my guy's moving eight when he's moving six. At some point, there is a line to be drawn. But like, if I move six and a quarter because, you know, measurements happen, yeah. You know, that's just saying maybe you move that guy too far. Or even if I move five and three quarters, if you're a real gentleman, like you could be like, oh, you can go a little further if you want. And that's why intent becomes so, so much of it. I always advocate if you want to do something, let's say my unit starts 16 inches away from your unit. And, you know, my goal for my turn is to have my unit charge you. I'll whip out my tape measure, start the measurement movement phase, be like, I'm 16 inches away. Do you agree? Yes or no. I mean, there's Mm -hmm. not really much to agree with. It's kind of objective. Tape measure just says it's 16 away. And then that's confirmed. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, I move my model. Let's say I move him seven inches instead of six. It doesn't matter. We know he started 16 away. I can only theoretically move six inches, so now I'm 10 inches away. And there's just that's the end of that conversation. So even if I roll a nine or a 10 or I roll a nine and all of a sudden I'm in range when I shouldn't be, we know I couldn't have made it. And having that conversation does work both ways also helps alleviate some of the logistical problems of playing 40K because, you know, it's not a computer game. There are mistakes and and casualties that happen out of our control. Like someone bumps into the table, something falls over, a dice rolls into a model and knocks it over. If we didn't have that conversation before and I just reset that model as close as where I thought it could be being honest, we're never going to know that that's where it actually was. There's almost a 100% chance that's not where it actually was. And that just kind of, if you don't play by intent, preemptively figuring all this stuff out, you're ruining both players' experience.
2: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I completely agree. And like, there was a um, situation in and in our game that we played, and um, when I say me, I mean the game that I played at the LGT with this this individual, and he moved his entire army, and then said to me, "Actually, I want to get my guys out of the repulsor," and I said, "Okay." In like you know because i said at the start that war under the bridge what happened before let's just have a good game and i thought i'll give this person the benefit of the doubt so i let them put all their army back to roughly where they deployed it and obviously characters were moving in certain places but it, it's just one of those that you try and i always try and be you know like give people the benefit of the doubt but and like you said, like we're not playing a finite game. So when you're measuring over terrain, for example, when you're trying to look over the top and maybe the tape measure is actually 10 inches above actually where you're trying to measure because you've got terrain, yeah, you might get like extra half an inch or something. But normally it's not even really going to impact the game. But there was times in which this individual would move a model, put it back, move it again, but before you know it, it was, we measured it out, it was like gained like an extra four or five inches to get line of sight on a character all of a sudden. Now, my advice always is: if you're unsure, don't try and take advantage of your opponent. Do, do the opposite, like go, actually, my my model did get nudged. So what's the most disadvantaged thing for me? Because then my opponent doesn't have a bad experience, for example. Because if you do you, do you I couldn't agree see with you. that so,
0: yeah absolutely so uh, there's a formal way to put that I think it's on both players to it's their obligation to maintain a perfect game state now obviously that's idealistic because a perfect game state is nearly impossible in this non-finite game like you said but it's both players obligation to at least try so if mm-hmm. I'm the one who caused an issue with the game state I knocked a model over I mismoved a model I moved a model decided I don't like that position moved them back I can't be benefited because I broke the game state that just breaks the principles of the, of the system. Yeah.
2: Yeah, totally. Um, so you like, you know, if you normally move six, maybe just move it four because you know, actually I'll give a bit of leeway. There's no way. Do you know what I mean? And that's, and most of the time people do that. And I think the one thing that I was really worried about, and obviously like, I want to reiterate this to people is that this is like the zero, 0.1% of people that play like that. Um, because a lot of the, the rest of the community, we, you know, we get on great. There's in, incredible social interactions that I love playing competitively. The, everything is fantastic. But I've received so many messages saying, this is exactly why I don't play 40k. Back in fourth edition, people were like this. But I really feel like the game is taking a turn for the better since eighth editions dropped. And I want to progress that to that next level where everyone feels comfortable at the table.
0: I couldn't agree more. And I want to I wanna just advocate, you know, this is the outlier, just like you said, to all those people who aren't deep in the 40k competitive scene or just, you know, afraid of dipping your toe in. I've been playing 40k for 16 years. I've been playing competitive 40k for the better, probably about a decade now. And I can count probably on one hand how many times I've had this experience or similar experiences with a player who I've not had a positive experience with. And we're talking, like, this is my job. is my full-time job is playing competitive 40K and teaching it. I probably play an average of 30 to 40 tournament, no, more than that, like, probably 50 tournament games a year at least. And, like, for me to say over 10 years, I can count on one hand how many times, we're talking under 1%. So don't think this is a norm at all.
1: Right. So... But so I think we've kind of defined the problem. They're bad actors, right? That's the issue. Um, there are not a lot of them, but there's enough of them where it ruins. It can ruin the experience. And and my primary concern is uh, there's some monetization coming into Warhammer um, mm-hmm. with the first paid tournament that's being held in Atlanta. Uh, and anytime you start putting money on the line, um, people's people that are sort of on the edge will take it more seriously, and we'll have more bad actors show up if we don't have systems in place to prevent that. And that's where I want to frame our discussion. Like how do we learn from other games? Like I think Magic the Gathering is an excellent game we can learn from. Um, Not to take away from your point, John, I think that's something we're definitely going to need to cover
0: in this episode, but it is not the first um, cash tournament. The Nova Invitational has been a cash tournament prize for $1,000 for 11 years now. And then the ITC, well, it's not just if you win any single tournament. There's a four thousand dollars cash prize at the end of that road
1: if you want to go for that. So yeah, cash no, prizes are not new to the game. They're not new to the game, but they're not prevalent, they're right? Not prevalent. That's agree there's with that. that's two tournaments, and there's and I think the intent of this new tournament that's coming up is creating a circuit where you're going to see more cash prizes for more tournaments. This is sort yeah. of a proving bed. Yeah, um, I just
0: wanted to be correct. Yeah, this, yeah,
1: coming. yeah. No, I mean you're you're technically correct, uh, but I'm just I'm just sort of rephrasing what I said to to make it fit the situation a little better, which is basically the best kind of correct. (laughs) Right. And
2: also also just to add to that very quickly is like, look at the growth of things like Patreon, um, you know, YouTubers, all that kind of stuff. Like there there are ways to make money um, obviously in the community already that, you know, it, there's a perception, right? So for example, um, you know, if you do well at a tournament, maybe people want to follow you or whatever, and maybe that comes with sponsorships or endorsements or affiliates. So, you know, the game of 40K is turning into what, like you've already said, Nick, um, you know, it's your full-time job. So, um, you know, that there are, things on the line you know you you know for people like you as well and you know now myself sort of getting more into the business side of vanguard tactics absolutely Um, and even
0: though like as you were just saying like london gt the prize for london gt i don't even know what it was like a trophy and a pat on the back like that's (laughs) we're playing for Acolyze there same thing with etc and so many other events in 40k that said that said it definitely does impact my bottom line income if i don't go out and win lgt or if i do poorly and if i do poorly because someone cheated that's yeah. a really, you know, you're affecting my livelihood. Like if I have mm-hmm. a family, you're affecting my entire family because you cheated at a game. That's kind of insane.
1: Yeah. yeah. And then so one of the things I I do want to bring it, uh, the, I don't know if we can move on in the discussion, but um, you guys don't have this perspective because you're both youngins, but I played Magic the Gathering before there was a Pro Tour, and I was there at the very beginning when they started putting real money up for, you know, for Magic and what sort of happened in that community. And I can tell you guys, what happened is, um, and you can you can do your own research online, but to, to break it down, uh, a lot of the pro Magic players in the beginning, uh, because the penalties for cheating were so light, they felt like that was a system, like a resource to be used. So for example, if you were to get a warning, like the only, the only uh, bad thing that would happen to you is you'd have to, if you got caught cheating, was they would, force you to rewind the game state they wouldn't even like you know we actually not to interrupt
0: you but we've we've seen that already happen in 40k so at lvo this past year which i guess is the premier event the climax of the itc season you know uh they required early list submissions like two weeks before the event and the penalty for not submitting a list on time was a yellow card so you know three yellow cards you're out three strikes you're out that kind of system And the benefit for not putting in your list on time is you get to see everyone who followed the rules list on time and then tailor your list to the meta, which is obviously an enormous advantage. And I know personal players, not going to name names, but I know people who literally were like, I'm just going to play fair when I get there and not get two more yellow cards. You know, I get another in case some crap happened and I get one more. I'm still not out. You have to really screw up to get two yellow cards. So... Mo- not most, but there were players who legitimately made a strategy out of submitting late to, get again- to gain an advantage because the punishment was not harsh enough.
2: Yeah, that, that's a huge, like, a huge problem. And obviously that's something that I advocated in my video is that people that are accumulating yellow cards at a tournament, that should then pass over to the next one. So if you're already on two yellow cards, because let's be honest, right? I've never been given a yellow card. In the last, you know, 18 months of competitive play, um, you know, it's very, very rare you should even get one, let alone two in the same event, let alone three Whereas if you've got a player that's consistently getting yellow cards over a tournament, they're consistently having bad complaints about them. And, you know, really, I want to encourage people if they do have a bad experience to tell the TO. So actually, TOs can do something because so many people are afraid of conflict. They're afraid of saying something. They're afraid of being a telltale or whatever. Um, But actually, we've got to bring this to the TO's attention. And it might just be a bad game. And the TO will be like, okay, I'll keep an eye on it. And if nothing else happens or, you know, no one else complains, that's fine. It will just be a bad game. But if it's, okay, that's the third complaint so far, or that's the second that's the second complaint, right, yellow card. And now if yellow cards start to track from one tournament to the next, all of a sudden three red cards, okay, all your ITC points gone, whatever it might be, or you're banned for the next three months. Or, I mean, I'm not, I'm just throwing some ideas out there. None of this is, right. you know, some of that could be too extreme, but do you know what I mean? There has to be comeuppance
1: we'll we'll get to some solutions in a minute but i, I do want to like sort of go through some more history and, yeah, and go some ahead, more I'm problems no that's okay no that's fine <laughs> um th- this is uh it's kind of it, it's a difficult subject now let me just share i guess i'll share something that that i did so um I've been involved in War Machine and Hordes for a long time at the highest levels. Uh, at one time, War Machine and Hordes was a growing game and was bigger than 40k as far as competitive. The competitive scene goes, which is probably unbelievable to you guys, but I mean, we were having tournaments that were three and 400 players like six years ago, um, where 40k was not that big. Uh, and, and that's fine. Um, but the... I actually went to the first or the second world team championship, which is just like the ETC for you guys. And I recorded all the games we're, we weren't even streaming at that time, but I recorded them up and put them up on our YouTube because I was a content provider. <clears throat> and there was a game where, you know, I was there. I watched all the games as they were happening, but I missed this, a player egregiously cheated. Like he distracted his opponent and this is really ballsy on a, on a recorded game. Like he knows the camera is there. The opponent looks away and he, pushes his index figure forward to move a model forward like two inches to get it into a threat range. And then his opponent looks back up, doesn't notice the model moves, and he goes and measures and look, oh, yeah, I'm in threat range, so I'm going to be able to kill this thing or whatever. Um, and it caused a huge ruckus, right, because people went crazy. So the first thing I did is I immediately disabled comments on that because it was getting really ugly on that video. And then eventually I took it down. And I always regretted that I did that because um, – in a way, I was kind of protecting this individual who was blatantly cheating, but I didn't want, like, I didn't want the witch hunt, and I didn't want, uh, I didn't want it to turn into something that was really ugly. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah. Um, and so, I think it's important that we figure out a way to prevent that from happening in general. Um, Without having to like go to the so what happened in Magic, uh, and you can read about this, but like Chris Pakula famously started calling out all the cheaters, right? Just calling them out and calling them to the carpet and pointing out, hey, this guy that you guys are celebrating as a champion, he cheats. Here, look at this. Um, and and he 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 became a bit of a pariah. And at the time, he was very unpopular, but if people look back now and they 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 talk about this all the time, like he cleaned he helped clean Magic up. Right. He brought it to the forefront and forced people to pay attention to where wizards finally put in a framework of a system to address this so that, you know, basically it's very difficult to cheat in magic events now. Like people still do, um, but it's it's the higher you get an event, the harder it gets to do. Because what happens is they've got a database where they track every player. Everybody's given a DCI number. Right. And this is like a six or well, mine's a six digit number because it's really old, but I think it's probably like a 12 digit number now and they track every player and every time you get a warning it's put in the database yeah. and if you get if you get multiple warnings for the same infraction over and over again they ban you they like <laughs> just look at it and they be like sorry you're banned for a year if you get caught cheating on a stream they they might ban you for a year they might give you a lifetime ban like they've put the mechanisms in place so that if you're going to repeatedly cheat you may not get caught every time but you're going to get caught enough times where eventually it's going to weed you out and then you're gonna be out of the game right so yeah. <clears throat> that is what I think we we need to get to in 40k is just to have a system that disincentivizes bad actors because that's all we need because uh, you know you don't put locks on your door to keep uh, like dedicated burglars out of your house it's to keep honest people out of your house. Right, because there's a lot of people that, when given an opportunity to shade things up a little bit, they'll get into some cognitive distance and they'll shade things up a bit. But if there's clear and uh, measurable consequences to bad actions or bad acting, like it will clean up so much of it you won't believe it. Like,
2: yeah, I, I also just want to add to that as well. I think that's you know you're moving that in a really place In the um, like I've played a lot of sport over my years. You know, it's what I. You know, grew up doing. I is a um, when I was younger. I played for the national team uh, for volleyball when I was a junior, and then sort of moved on to hockey. And you know, I've competed at bodybuilding, so I've been around sport. You know, I trained to be a uh, a PE teacher, like a sport teacher, whatever you want to call it in the in the states. I don't know what your equivalent is, but here it's called a PE teacher. So sportsmanship in fair play, and you know that whole community. I've been sort of surrounded by for my whole life. So I've only been playing Warhammer since the dawn of eighth edition. I, you know, I used to play one as a kid or whatever, sort of left it alone for uni, got back into it. But the thing is, I've noticed so much with my video as well. I've noticed so much and I didn't name this person because like you, I didn't want it to become a witch hunt, but because their actions led a trail, so many people came forward and, you know, put names out there and all that kind of stuff. And there was a lot of hate towards this individual. And the problem is with that is because they feel unjustified by the system. Whereas let's say we are playing a game of rugby, okay, or a game of hockey and what uh, an opponent that I'm playing causes a foul. They cheat whatever it is. The referee goes over yellow card. He's sent off the pitch. I don't care. I'm just going to get on with the game. He's been penalized. We carry on with the game. We shake hands at the end. We have a beer, whatever it is. We grab food and it's everyone's all friends. Do you know what I mean? Like this guy could have punched me whilst being in the ruck or whatever. I'm still going to shake his hand at the end, have a laugh with him because he got penalized there. And then there was ramifications for his actions. And that is what we're not seeing, which now causes so much animosity or so much bad feelings because these people are getting away with it and that really annoys people you know and it's a it's a two-way street if we bring this in not only will it sort of um cause a lot of the negativity and the cheating to go away but also it will mean everyone else is having a more positive experience because they know the system's in place and they can trust referees they can trust tos and all of that kind of good thing as well but also it means then players with a you know, in the, there are a few with a bad reputation can really clean up their act. And if they have a clean season, people can't be like, Oh, that guy, so-and-so he's a cheater. And if they can turn around and go, look, I've had two clean seasons. You're the one actually with a yellow card or well, whatever it might be, you know, th- those sorts of things people can change. And I'm, and I'm all about that.
1: Yeah, you're a hundred percent right. And then the other thing, uh, I don't know if I, I'm not experienced enough. I'm, I'm going to guess that this is true in the 40 K community, but it's hundred percent true in the Warhammer and hordes community. So what happens is, is the people that go to lots and lots of competitive events, we all know who the cheaters are. We, we all just do. We know who we know the people that you have to watch. The event organizers know who the cheaters are because they know who they have to watch. And so there's, there's always like a list of people that are like, yeah, if this guy gets an opportunity, He's probably going to take an edge if he can get it. And so they get watched like hawks. Well, the problem is, if everybody knows who these people are, why don't we have a system in place? Like, I don't want to out anybody, and I don't want to, like, turn it into a witch hunt and destroy anyone. But if they're going to be bad actors, they should just be taken out of the game for a while to really think about their choices and then given the opportunity to come back and clean it up. But we don't really have that system in place. So there's nothing like... Yeah. You know, when they, when they, when they do bad things and they win, well, they won, they got the notoriety, they got what they wanted. When they do bad things and they get caught, well, nothing really happens. So, I mean, you're kind of encouraging a behavior, right?
0: To play devil's advocate, and do not get me wrong here, I'm not encouraging cheating by any stretch, um, a lot of newer players, which we're trying to invite into the hobby, we want it to grow, especially the competitive side. We want those guys who are timid or shy or just you know, afraid to take that plunge, get into the competitive scene. They, at the first term, are almost 100% going to play rules incorrectly and things like that. So more for those guys who are listening to this podcast. Why are they... How can we make sure they're not just getting thrown yellow cards and getting horrible reputations like some
1: notable players? Um Because they are making honest mistakes here. How do we differentiate? So, here's the thing. We take intent out of it, right? It doesn't really mean anything. so what what magic does, which I think is really interesting, is they have five levels of events, right, and in every level of each event, level one, this is casual you're expected to get rules wrong. This is for people to learn how to play the game. This is still an event, but it's not it's not meant to be enforced. And they, they tell you how to enforce it, right? Level two, this would be like, I don't know, an RTT. This is less casual than the first event, but also a point where you can get make mistakes. And the thing is, if we start tracking people's mistakes and they don't make the same mistake twice. So say for example, um, somebody gets a warning because they misplayed a stratagem, right? They played it wrong. And then they get a warning for playing the same stratagem wrong again. And then they get another warning for playing the same stratagem wrong, right? Now we have something to go on. But if somebody plays a stratagem wrong, and then they play a different stratagem wrong, and then they play another stratagem wrong in these lower level events, we're not going to kill them. They're learning. And that's okay, right? As long as they get a warning and then they learn from it, that's a warning is not a bad thing. In In Magic, they'll even tell you that. A warning is not to say that you're a bad person or you're doing anything, you've just misplayed and they assign no intent to it, right? There's no intent assigned to anything. It's breaking the game state or doing something incorrectly. And at higher levels of events, so like say the LVO, that would be considered to be like a level five event. And you are expected to know the rules and you are expected to maintain the game state. And you know what? At a thousand person event, if you're going to go compete in it, you should probably know that. And I know we want it to be open for everyone. And if somebody's new and they come and they get some warnings, that's okay. It's not a big deal,
2: right? It's it's a little bit like, you know, take a sporting example. And I think what you've brought to our attention, Nick, is fantastic. And I think you don't want to put people off going, oh, I don't, you know, I'm going to get a yellow card or whatever. Um, The thing is, like, for example, in rugby, you can't pass the ball forward, okay? If you do, you just get it's a penalty to the other team or whatever. And it's just left like that. It's very quick, very simple. You learn from it straight away, right? Better not do that again. There's no That person's not meant to feel bad in whatsoever. And like you said, if you're playing a strategy incorrectly and you can tend to feel there, um, if they're like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I really didn't realize that. Thanks for telling me. Okay, I I just won't play it at all, or whatever. You kind of get a real feel for their intent in that they're genuinely sorry. If they're saying, Well, I don't have the rule book with me, so there, you know, that's when there's a little bit more malicious behind it, or they become very defensive. Um, And then if it starts to hang on a minute, this is the third, fourth, fifth stratagem where you've tried to do this, or you've consistently argued. And in my game, the issue was the reason why it was such an issue was because the individual argued with the referee on four separate occasions now the referee is there to say this is my final verdict this is how we're going to move forward there's no discussion that is that's it black and white we're moving forward in this way now that is the problem at that point a yellow card or red card should be issued um and in, in wherever it whether it's just a case of like this is the first time you've argued with me, that's a warning, please don't do it again. I'm here to make a ruling and you just need to accept it. Okay? Yeah. And if that player goes, Yeah, you're right, I'm sorry, and there's no more problems, happy days. So um I think it's somebody newer to the game wouldn't make those same malicious um and aggressive kind of like arguments. It would just be there will be a lot more apologetic. And I think it's very easy for potentially a a well-experienced T.O. and referee to pick up on that.
1: Well, also, uh, Nick, just to directly answer your question, here's what I think the reality of what is actually going to happen versus the fear of what's going to happen. So I think the fear is new players are going to come and they're going to make mistakes and they're going to get a bunch of yellow cards and they're going to feel terrible, maybe get disqualified because they've made honest mistakes. The reality is, if you're a new player... most people will recognize that you're a new player and and 40k players are great about this. They will take you under their wing. They will help you. They're not going to call a judge over on you because you made a mistake on your stratagem, especially if you're at the 1 and 2 table, right? If you're 1 and 2 in the tournament, people are so relaxed and chill at the at the lower levels like they're they're going to be like, "Okay, let me let me help you out." Or "Oh, I can see that you're new." And people are great about it. Now, if you're 4 and 0, you're going to be held to a higher standard, and you should be. You should know your rules if you're playing for something and you're playing to win a tournament. You should be held to a higher standard. And I think that's okay too. Um, You know, it's okay to put the onus on the players to maintain the game state and know the rules. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, John. Uh, I was really just
0: asking the question more, just so we have an answer to it, because that's a theoretical question. I'm sure a lot of people who haven't actually been in the tournament scene might be afraid of. I'll, I'll just share a story, and then I add something I want to say to Steve after that. Um, my first round of the LGT, which I guess would be a level 5 event if you want to classify it like that, 400-something people. Um, yeah, it was a 13-year-old kid in his first tournament game ever. You know damn well he didn't know all of the rules to the game. It's a complicated game, so I wasn't... In the business of labeling him a cheater, he's a 13 year old kid. But even if he was a 40 year old man who's just new to it, you know, I can recognize that that's part of just being a, a person. And like, I, it's in my best interest, it's in everyone's best interest to see the hobby grow because that's how you get more prestige for winning, you just get more fun playing. It's just a better hobby. So, you want to encourage that guy to come back, you want to encourage that little kid to come back, you want to teach him, you want to. Make sure he's having a good time, even if he's not really in competition to win or give you a competitive game where it's back and forth and all that. You want to make sure it's just a sport, sporting thing to do. And, you know, that's, I'm not running around giving him yellow cards and stuff or trying to get the judge to sit by our table and make sure he rule, plays every rule correctly because that's not the vibe that's going off. And, you know, I'm not alone in this. This is not 99.9% of people would have acted in the same fashion there the same position i was so it's, it's very much whether you're a 13 year old kid or whether you're a 40 year old man if you're new to the game people will help you out yeah definitely um so steve the other thing i wanted to to say was basically you said something like uh you did you know when a judge makes a rule when a ref makes a rule that's the end of that no real point in arguing with it that's the way it should be you know you pass the ball forward in rugby the ref calls you on it you take a penalty. You don't argue with a ref about how you didn't pass it forward. That's the end of the day. But that's for when the ref knows the rules, I want to say. And this is something I actually get myself into often. And it's something that I try to, I struggle with personally. Is a lot of times I'll know the rules better than some of the refs because this is literally my job, as I said. Yeah. And, you know, the refs are volunteers. Mostly, I think maybe one event out there pays refs that I'm aware of. Most of them don't. And it's just, uh, It's very much they're just players who are giving up their opportunity to play to just ref because they want to help the community grow. So they have no training. They have no, they've taken no tests like in Magic. They may very well just not know the rules as well as I do. So this isn't a case of judgment where it's like, I passed the ball forward and I'm arguing, no, I didn't. This is a case of I passed the ball or my opponent passed the ball forward and I'm like, judge, do something about that. And he's like, why can't he pass the ball forward? All of a sudden, now I'm arguing with the ref. How do I approach that, or how does someone approach that?
2: Yeah, I think a, Yeah, I can definitely see we, and it's a really good point. So let's let's use a, a, a context. Okay, um, I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Talos in the Codex of the Takari, in the print, they didn't have the fly keyword, but then they got FAQ to have it right. That's correct, yeah. Okay, so let's say you're having a discussion with someone, this guy, um, you want to fly over a ruin with your talos, and the guy goes, Oh, I'm sorry, mate, they don't have the keyword. Referee comes over, you know, you bring up your codex, doesn't have it. At that point, if the referee says no, they don't have the fly keyword, I think it's reasonable to say do you mind if we just put the time on me and I show you my FAQ? Because I think they've FAQ'd that to say that it does, because the referee might not be aware of that FAQ, for example. And I think at that point you said, time is on me. Well, I'm happy to use my resources. I've got my rule books here to show you the wording. It's not a loophole, it's not some janky kind of misinterpretation. It's black and white. It's just the fact of they haven't, they haven't seen the paperwork, for example. You can show them, and I think any TO would go, actually, no, you are right. I didn't read the FAQ. I'm sorry. Yeah, put the time back on. They do have the fly keyword, carry on and fly over that piece of terrain. If it's more of a case of an interpretation, um, so one of the things that there was a, uh, an argument about in my game was the targeting a unit, okay? So at the ETC, um, it was played that a unit doesn't need um, to be in line of sight and in range of the same model. It could be different if they're in the same unit, okay? And that's one interpretation to read the sentence. And hopefully this does get FAQ'd. So here a referee has made a decision that this is the way that we're going to play this, okay? And at this point, I think rightly or wrongly, whether you agree with that way of ruling it or not, As players and as top players, to encourage the tournaments and encourage the TOs, we need to actually back them and say, okay, cool, we can do it like that. Um, And then maybe you go and speak to them at the lunchtime. Because at the end of the day, if you're like Nick, if you're playing someone, for example, and there's a rules dispute and maybe it goes the other way and you know actually the rules the other way, it's probably not going to be the difference between the outcome. You're still probably going to win that game. And the, the situation that we have is that then that could be discussed in the lunchtime. Maybe books need to be shown, whatever it might be. Your point needs to be maybe furthered on. That's then not an argument at the table. The results already been published and it's fine. It's just more of a, that then becomes more of a discussion Um, or maybe this is how it's going to be played for the rest of the tournament. But there was things like I had a model touching cover um, and the opponent was trying to argue that it wasn't in the, in the TO said, no, it's clearly touching cover that's gonna grant the benefit of a cover save, for example, or I've um I can see it's over fifty percent obscured, so I'm gonna give it a cover or not give it. So they're giving a judgment call. Um, do you see what I'm trying to say? So I think if actually,
1: Steven, if I could jump in here real quick. Yeah, yeah, please do. I've got a better solution. So again, borrowing from magic. So to answer your question, Nick, we don't need to put it on the players to decide, right? Um all we need is a simple escalation. So every tournament should have a head judge and then a bunch of referees or a bunch of judges, right? And anytime you get a ruling from a, a judge or a referee that you disagree with, you should be able to escalate to the head judge. And then the head judge gets the final say, right? And then typically tournaments are going to choose the most experienced, most informed players to be head judges. And we can even take it a step further. Uh, Magic actually certifies their judges and we could get to that point. We're not there yeah. yet. But we could get to that point. But that stops all the arguments right there, right? Because it's just literally, okay, I I understand what you've ruled. Can I escalate this, please? And then they go get the head judge. The judge makes the ruling. Then there's no more discussion. The head judge has made the ruling, and it's done. So I've done that as well because I've definitely gotten like low-level judges, I guess
0: we'll call them, that just don't know the rules that I'm referring to. And then they give the incorrect ruling, and I'm just 100% confident that I know what I'm talking about. So I'm like, respectfully, could I see the highest judge or the higher level judge. So I can get a confirmed ruling. And that still only, you know, until we have a judging system where judges train to have to take a test, something, get paid. So there's accountability, anything of those sorts. At the end of the day, they're always just going to be players who are forfeiting their right to play in the tournament to judge. And that's totally fine.
1: And I'm very thankful for that. So I don't. this is not a knock at any judges who sacrifice their time. Let me ask you a follow-up question then. Yeah. All right. So if you've escalated to the person that's in charge, and yeah. they might make a mistake and make the wrong ruling. That happens. Like Absolutely. that happens by the best of us. Like I'm sure you've made mistakes about rules before, Nick. Um they make a mistake and they make a ruling, but their word is law. And then yeah, it can always so- it it can always be uh talked about later, but like this happens in sport all the time. Yeah, so let like, me just tell you
0: a story about what happened to me at ETC, or ESC, rather. The singles event right before ETC. Uh, and that's this is a prime example of this. Um, so I was doing uh, some cheeky stuff with my Kellermorph and my Gene are called Army. There's basically a, a nuance within the rules, if you follow it to the letter of the law, where you can, after a Kellermorph kills an infantry unit, all other infantry units within six inches, we roll once to hit, or after he kills an infantry model or something like that. Mm-hmm. So the Kellermore fires 12 shots, up to 12 shots. And uh, if he, you can fire shots sequentially one at a time, as per the rules for fast dice and how 40k actually works at the, you know, the minutia level. So technically, uh, all best arguments start with technically. you can, Roll your first shot, roll the hit, roll the wound, roll armor, save. If it kills something, all your subsequent shots will now re-roll once for that same killing. Now, again, this is a little cheeky. It is rules written. So I was doing this at ESC. This is like the premier event of the world. I expect my people there to be aware of these kinds of tricks. If they're not, I'm happy to show them why it works that way. No problems. So I had this come up. I had the, t- the, the player didn't really understand. He wasn't following me. He was like, let's just get a judge. I'm like, sure. The judge will clear it up. No problem. So we got a judge. Happened to be Neil, who I think you've mentioned, Steve, uh, is the head judge of ETC. And yep. I, Neil's well aware of the stuff that I'm doing right now, he's well aware of the tricks I'm pulling here. And he's like, uh, I know what you're saying. It doesn't work like that. And I'm like, Neil, just look at the rules. It does work like this. If you want to rule against it, that's fine. But you need to understand that you're ruling against the rules as written, as they are literally written. He's like, yeah, I understand that this is going against the rules. We just don't feel that the rules were intended to be played that way. We're going to make this ruling. You have to deal with it. And I said, okay. I shut up and I just played without reruling my once, and that's that's totally fine. I feel a lot better if the TO knows he's going against the rules written, as opposed to just being ignorant to what the rules actually say. And if he acknowledges that, I'm totally okay with that. Compared to just, uh, you know, I, I don't know, yeah.
1: Nick. I'm going to take you to task here a little bit. I think. You have to respect the judges to the point where if they make a wrong ruling, that's just the parameters you have to play with on that day, and then you go and help them correct it in the future, right? Um, but and the heat of the moment, at at the moment, uh, you have to. The judges have to have authority because as soon as we start taking away authority because we're smarter than judges, like then they don't have authority with anyone, right? So. We we can't degrade their authority by saying, well, we have some players that are smarter so than the judges. I think this all
0: goes back to what I was saying with Steve. There's a distinction between judgment calls or or just rulings, and there's a distinction between those and and rules. So, a judgment call is is this model six or six point one away? That's you know we can't agree. I mean, my opponent. This obviously matters. Let's ask a TO. There's no arguing with it. That's just going to be what he says. And then there's rules, which are you know, outlined in the packet, outlined in the rule book, outlined by all the books that we choose to play with when we enter the tournament. Those right. should outlaw the TO, in my opinion, because those are things that the TOs have to abide by. That's like saying, you know, a lawyer has to abide by the laws, or a judge does, rather.
1: As you know, all things that are written are open to interpretation.
2: Yeah, that's you know the what? problem. Yeah, I think look, I think for, this is my strictly my opinion, but. I think if we want a movement that encourages, you know, comeuppance, whatever you want to call it, or people being carded or um, not necessarily carded, like, you know, unnecessarily, but if we want this system to go forward, to to rid ourselves of cheaters and sportsmen like conduct, us as players, no matter how well-informed you are, and obviously, Nick, like you said, you you know, you probably know the rules better than, you know, 99% of the people out there, you still, in my opinion, need to go, okay, we're going to play it like that. And that's fine. No, even if you know in your heart, that's not what the rule book says, the ref, we need to empower the referees and say, okay, cool, we're going to play it like that. That's fine. That's your interpretation of this black and white text. We'll play it like that for this game. Um, you know, And obviously you'll carry on playing it like that for the rest of the tournament. Um, because without that, We'll never progress the game because, unfortunately, although, Nick, you're not said 99% right, there'll be the 1% of person that is incorrect, but they're so biased because they will believe they are correct. So they will argue until the hill because everyone is biased to the point where they believe that they're still correct and they still know better than the referee. So we need to just accept that. Games could be lost based on referees' decisions, but we need to be okay with that.
0: Yeah, I can get behind that. For us to move forward as a community, we yep. need to just accept that that's part of it. And you know and then that's
2: very fair.
1: I think as part of the system, we you know, you can escalate to the head judge, and then the head judge, you know, makes a ruling or whatever, but then there should always be an opportunity after an event is over to go to that head judge and just say, "Hey, here's why I think this is the way it should be," and you can help them find the information so that in the future they can make the correct ruling. That's totally yeah. cool, right? But in in the the moment of a tournament, like we have to, the judges have to have the authority to make rulings and move on because you know there might be what four judges for a 300 person tournament, something like that. Like they can't argue with everyone over every little minutia. Like that's just not. I'll give realistic. you another
2: example as well. I think. Um, you know, like you said about Nick. You know what you're doing is slightly tech. You know, like you said, the the technical bit. If you ever feel like technically I could do this, like I I love the incarn and in the etc. They've changed their FAQ to say that the um, when coming up from reserve from the with the incarn. Basically, you can still charge, piling, consolidate, or heroic intervention, but the heroic intervention is missed out from the GW FAQ. So I wanted to take the in to into the LGT because technically I can with the ETC, but it doesn't say technically I can't with the normal black and white FAQ from GW. I messaged the TO to say, can I do this? The TO said no, so I took a different army. I took it, or I I wouldn't include that in my list, right? Because if you're well-versed with the rules, you're going to kind of know this might be an issue. So let me get this checked before I even contemplate using it so I'm not caught out on the day. So there are ways and means around, you know, as we get more experience with this system.
0: You're absolutely right. The, The Kelly Morphy rolling a couple ones here and there is not, it doesn't really matter to me. Like at all, so that's why I didn't bother to get a checked. If that was something I was going to build an army around, a strategy around, like you and the incarn, yeah. I certainly would have asked to get that checked. And I have done that in the past with certain rulings, which you know, you kind of know this is this is very technically based. As like technically it works this way, but are you going to let me play it this way? Those are the ones where you want to ask ahead of
2: time. Yeah, definitely.
1: So, percent. Like let's, let's move the discussion to like how do we how do we as a community. Get the things in place to to address these issues that we see looming on the horizon, or they're they're kind of under the surface now. Um, So, what do you guys think? Like, where what's a good start? And then, like, maybe we should start with the end in mind. Like, what would be Shangri La? What would be ideal to you guys?
2: I think number one, we need to accept rules are going to be broken. We're gonna we need to accept that there is going to be foul play, and we're never going to be able to eradicate. I think what we want to try and have is a system where people do not feel like there isn't a comeuppance or a retribution or whatever it might be for the people that are com- consistently committing these fouls or intentionally trying to game an advantage. If we know that you know these guys are just playing um, and that they will they'll be penalised for their actions, then I think that's something that. Um, You know, is probably that end game, along with knowing that there is a clear, distinct system and a process in place in which you can, if you're unhappy with how the game is going, the next course of action and being completely comfortable with that. I mean, that's exactly why I set up uh, Vanguard Tactics. I want to help people become comfortable at the table. And that's it. Like I'm not trying to help the top top of the, you know, the best of the best players. I want to help those guys that are club players that are thinking about doing their first ever tournament. So, for me, I'm really passionate about helping that type of people feel confident at the table. So if they know the process involved, okay, I can go to a tier. I don't need to be scared about going to ask a ref or just saying to your opponent, "Do you mind if we just get a referee over to t- discuss this?" Um, Because I I believe it works differently. And if not, I would love to learn actually how it is. Then that's great. Do you know what I mean? That's what we want to empower. And also with referees, knowing and feeling empowered to make a decision um, quickly, efficiently, and without there being, you know, like, oh, you're wrong or I disagree. And, you know, players trying to sort of muscle in on the referee, if that makes sense. So, yeah, that's kind of where I think where we want to move to.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me, and I really couldn't agree more. So, I just as much as like sometimes I feel the referee might be wrong, and I want to do something about it, it's totally fair. You, you know, you just for us to empower the ref and move forward as a community, we have to just abide by that essentially.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to give a little more uh, detailed answer because I've thought a lot about this. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, this is a, this is a little bit of a passion of mine. So, bear with me. This might be a little long winded, but I think. There's a couple key pillars that we need. Number one, we need an authority, and ideally it would be Games Workshop, but I also think it could be like the ITC and the ETC and Nova maybe banning together or whoever else. Um, some of the bigger bodies that that manage rules for the game, right? We need somebody with authority. We need transparency to the process, so that you know it's not like there has to be transparency so that everybody can understand exactly how things work. Um, Right. Um, And then we need a process in place. And I think the great thing is magic has already done this. Like they've gone through all these growing pains and they've learned really the hard way. And the best thing you can do is learn from others mistakes. And if you look at competitive magic today, it is so good from a sportsmanship standpoint. So you know, I told you guys I was there at the very beginning and it was like cheating was rampant and like half of articles online were about how to protect yourself from cheaters. That's literally to 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 practice for the pro tour. That's what you had to do is you had to learn how to like defend yourself against cheaters. Now, nobody worries about that. Like if they sit down across from somebody, sure, there are bad actors. There are people that do still cheat. I'm not going to pretend like that it's been solved, but... It is so much fewer people. It is so such a cleaner game. Sportsmanship is so much better because they've put in a process that naturally weeds those people out or encourages them to change their behavior or stops them from taking that behavior to begin with. So for me, the ideal thing would be is to have an authority like Games Workshop with transparency set up, put processes into place Based on other things that have proven to work to clean up or help keep the game or make the game cleaner, more sporting, more fun. And just that's going to help it grow like crazy. I mean, it's already growing like crazy. So, yeah, that's where I'm at.
2: <clears throat> I think the other thing as well is we need to, like with anything, you need to think where you want to be rather than where. You be. And there's a real mindset of a lot of TOs, they run an event, they want to do it. For club it's they want to keep the cost down they just want to get people playing and all this kind of stuff but unfortunately they're all they're worried about is oh does my terrain look good and and what they're not thinking about is do I have a, a sufficient enough amount of referees with a good enough knowledge to actually govern this so that everyone is going to enjoy their day is the rules pack going to support competitive play um, so that actually then all Comers, whether they're completely beginners or right to the top level, if we have enough referees, and you know, this goes back to what you said, Nick, ideally, where we're paying referees. I mean, I don't know what the standard price is of a tournament in the US, and I'm happy to say this is just a player, but I think what tournament organizers charge for a, a weekend of events is far too low, and the game cannot progress while we still pay such minimal amounts to you know play a weekend. I mean I can go to the cinema and it will cost me just as much by the time I've bought me and you know girlfriend a ticket or whatever to watch a two-hour film and I'll probably pay the same as a a two-day event. No, I get why TOs want to keep it friendly and like a hobby, but if we actually want to improve the community and we want the community to grow and we want everyone to have a good experience, we need to be able to start to lay down actually prices are going to go up. But with that, we're going to start to get a little bit more, you know, maybe I can pay somebody to be a referee and maybe they can seek out some help or advice from another more experienced TO like Neil, for example, or if we can even get, you know, people like Neil or Games Workshop or ITC, ETC, whoever it is, to then bring in a governing body for referees. That's where we want to end up with different levels from level one to level three. So maybe you're, like you said, you're refereeing an RTT and maybe all Games Local game store should have a level one referee as a standard to run an RTT, but then maybe it goes up to a, you need a level two if you're going to run a GT over 30 people and you need, you know, if you've got over a, uh, a 400 man event, maybe you need eight referees per every 50 players. I don't know. There could be some easy... Um, way there so that we've got enough referees circulating to give a good presence with enough authority so that it doesn't just rely on one person's shoulders that head to and that we've actually got a real professionalism within the way that we're governing the rules so then the players feel comfortable and you know like it's just like you said transparent and we've got a process to go forward with.
1: Yeah, I think I think that would be great. So I really appreciate you guys getting together for this discussion. Is there anything else that we need to cover or add? Do you think? Like,
0: um, yeah, I just wanted to, to just jump on what Steve just said. Um, I think it's really, I think we're headed in that direction. You know, like the like ten thousand dollar cash tournament in Atlanta that the the pro tabletop guys are putting on is done by a company that's familiar with esports, and they've their whole. Pitch is that they've done all this before. Esports twenty years ago was obviously not a thing, and they went through the entire thing. They went through cheating. They went through how to market it. They went through how to pay judges. They went through all of that, and they're trying to fast track forty k on that exact same path, and that's what they're experiencing. So uh, normally, to answer your question, Steve, uh, a forty k tournament in the states will cost anywhere between sixty and hundred bucks on average, and okay. that's that's for the weekend. And this Atlanta one is going to be two hundred, and they're paying their judges to be there. So that's part of where your prize support is going to go. Or the part of, sorry, part of where your $200 is going to go. And yeah. I think that's huge for the community overall because now there's accountability on the judges and it's not just people who have, they have to be good judges. They're not just some guy who's like, I'd rather judge than play because I want to help the community grow. There's someone who's like, okay, I'm, this is a job for me now. I need to do a good job. Yeah. And that's, that's how the game is going to develop in that capacity. So I'm all aboard.
2: Yeah, no, I think like in the UK, normally tournaments are 30 pounds, which probably works out to be about $40 here. So we're kind of like, I think, you know, like you said, you know, if you're paying anywhere between 100 and $200 for this new tournament in Atlanta, and they're transparent with, look, your money is going to be coming here. We're going to get paid referees. That's actually going to empower players. If I was new into the hobby, I'd be like, excellent. I'm going to be well looked after in my first tournament. That's exactly what I want. I don't want to be going to a ropey event, you know? So um, it it's kind of that sort of professional behavior breeds a more welcoming and actually supportive uh, community, right? It's like if you want to play rugby, you want to play, it's a physical game. There's a chance of getting injured and hurt yeah, you want to be governed by a good referee that knows exactly what to do so he can keep people in line properly. Exactly. I couldn't agree more. But, guys, I think, no, it's been an excellent discussion.
0: Yeah. Thanks for coming on, Steve. It's much appreciated. It's it's an important topic, and I think we need to get the community on the same page with
2: it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and I just want to say, guys, like everyone that's been so... In the, you know, some of the discussions on Facebook, honestly, it means a lot to me. It was a very difficult video for me to film, um, as I didn't know how it was going to be taken, but yeah, honestly, I can't, you know, say thanks enough for everyone that's reached out to me and, you know, I've got an inbox full of sob stories where people have been wronged or cheated and, um, it's been a real eye opener. It really has. So let's try and make change. I'm on board. (laughs) I wanted to just
1: thank you, Stephen, for starting the discussion. Um, it was a brave thing to put that video out, <laughs> to be honest with you, because it, something like that, I'm speaking from experience here, can turn into such a terrible storm of negativity, um, but it's an important discussion to have and it's important to uh, move forward as a community because we're at such a tipping point, right? Like 40K is a rocket ship just heading towards the moon and you know we have the opportunity to help shape it into what we wanted as a community. So I think we should put our voices together and really start talking about these things, talking through them, coming up with good solutions, and then helping the community leaders like to get everybody on board. Right. And then let's, let's do this. Let's, let's make it what we want instead of just suffering the consequences of that guy. Like let's get rid of that guy. Um, yeah. And, and you did it in a
0: really excellent way, which I can't think you know for Steve, you didn't name whoever was his name, You didn't turn it into a witch hunt, you want it. And you changed it from the story of how you're the victim to let's do something about it as a community. And that's how you empowered everyone to get behind you and make a change. It's not just you telling a sob story. It's you highlighting an issue and let's do something about it. And I think that's the best way to handle that possibly.
2: Yeah, no, I agree. I I didn't want it to be personal. I didn't want it to be, like, for there to be anger or, or, or emotional. It just needed to be factual. Um, and I think if it's factual, you can move forward. So, no, um, guys, are, honestly, I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, thank you for coming on. And I will say, I listen. If you guys haven't watched that video on Vanguard Tactics, please do. Steve's very articulate, and he does a great job telling the story. He's also very beautiful. So
2: it's a pretty fun.: oh, yeah. Thanks, mate. <laughs> I try. <laughs> well mate, hopefully I'll see you at SoCal then. Yeah, I'll see you soon. Uh John, are you gonna be there?
1: I'm gonna try. I'm working oh, on mate. it. Yeah. So. Well it will
2: be great to meet both of you there. So um yeah, it looking forward like to it. Nice. Yeah, guys, can I do a cheeky plug? Yeah. Yeah, please. There's nothing cheeky so about it. I have a free masterclass and it's a five video series. Um so if you're thinking about getting into the ITC format or you just want to refer knowledge on the primary, the secondaries, you know, maybe how to build a list and things. It's a five uh, uh, video series that's completely free. Um, It's on a membership site, you get access to it, all you need to do is create a login. um, And you can just sign up for that on my website, www.vanguardtactics.com. So yeah, that's
1: it. Check it out, guys. Uh, As a new player, I watch a lot of Vanguard Tactics videos, because well, I'm sick. I like to watch. I consume a lot of content, um, but <laughs> his are some of the, his are some of the better videos out there. They're very, very good. And uh, Steve, thanks for coming on. We super appreciate it. Um, it's a very topical subject, so we're going to try to turn this around really fast. Sorry, Seamus, more work for you. Uh, yeah,
2: yeah, sounds good. Appreciate it. All right, guys. Well, look, have a good night, and um, yeah, see you guys soon.
0: You too. Take care, Steve.
2: See ya. Peace. <laughs> Has been Art
1: of War, a strategy and tactics podcast for Warhammer 40K. Hosted by Nick Nanavati and John Demaris. Produced
0: by Seamus Ronan. Find us at aow40K.com.
1: And of course, connect. On Facebook.
2: Just look for AOW40K. 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 Till next time.